Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ask Amy. Our guest today is David Kinchin. He's the COO of Energy Ogre. Thanks so much for coming on to talk with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, we are talking about electric rates, but so many things that go into that electric rate, um, even if I have a fixed rate, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I always call Energy Ogre to say like, hey, what are you seeing here? And you can explain things to me, as I'm hoping you'll do for our audience today, um, to, to help us make sense of all of that. First, what the heck is Energy Ogre for people who haven't heard of you or sort of know how your company works? Sure. So at a really high level, we're uh, an energy advocate. And in this space where sometimes these things are a little bit more complicated than they originally seem, um, we go out there as an advocate and we go out there as an agent for our members and, and handle some of these things on their behalf. And so we'll go through the market and we'll, we'll analyze and look for and try to collect the best rates. We'll um, collect um, our members' usage. And what we try to do is find the best rate for that particular way that that homeowner, that member, uses electricity. And then we do things like monitor the market to see if there's a, a, a better time or a, a lower rate where they can save on their electricity. We make sure that we monitor their account and we make sure that we can interface with the REP for them and just basically take a lot of that hassle off their plate. It's certainly a convenience thing. Yeah. But they kind of get the best value with the least amount of work. Yeah, I mean, and so if you have ever shopped around for an electric plan or say yours expires or you're like, wait a minute, I seem to be paying way more than I should, a lot of people go to the PUC or start searching, looking up low-cost plans and think, oh my gosh, this is way too much, way too much for me to figure out. And they can just pay Energy Ogre a monthly fee mm -hmm. to figure it out for them, yes, essentially. Right, because it's not just about... It's there is the enrollment part, getting into a plan, but there's the ongoing. Am I still in the best plan? Mm -hmm. When is my expiration? What does that mean? When can I switch? These are these are things that people can know, but sometimes they're hard to figure out on your own or keep up with. Exactly, certainly it's hard to keep up. With. Right, I've got some reminders on my Google Calendar on like, oh, start searching for a plan now. You need a plan by this time. It it's a lot. So the reason that I specifically wanted to talk with you, David, around this time, um, I last spoke with you in September mm -hmm. because in September, everyone started noticing that their electric bills were higher. And you think, okay, well, technically it should be getting cooler. I should be using less electricity. Um, I have a fixed rate plan. Why is my bill going up? And then you shared with us and we talked to people about this TDU fee, mm -hmm. this transmission and distribution um, TDU, or it might be called a TDSP. Explain that. That's on all of our bills. There's nothing we can do about it. It may go up, it may go down. And in September, it went up. What is it? Yeah, so there's a, uh, a TDSP that's on uh, pretty much everybody's bill, even if it's something like you're in an all-in rate. It's all embedded. It's a non-bypassable charge, which means you can't avoid it. And the transmission distribution part of that um, is, is what we pay to make sure that we have the lines and wires that get the electricity to our house. So mm -hmm. it's more about how do I have electricity 
and then uh, maintaining the lines. It's all the stuff to make sure the electricity gets to your home and, and your lights stay on. And so for that, we, we understandably pay a fee for that. And it's on everybody's bill, and a lot of times they'll kind of call it out on a line item, but everyone's going to kind of pay that either way. And in the winter time, there's a little bit less megawatts, so kilowatt hours, if you will. There's less mm-hmm. energy um, on the system to pass through the same amount of fixed cost. Ah. So what we do in September is um, they change the rate to collect around the same amount of revenue from a less amount of energy, and so the rate goes up. And then in March, we roll over to what we call the summer rate, and the opposite mm-hmm. happens. We understand there's going to be more kilowatt hours of electricity because of AC load and all that in the summer, and they're allocating a fixed cost over more power, and so that rate understandably goes down. So it's basically Centerpoint saying people are using less electri- less electricity, but we have the same amount of expenses to pay for with these lines and wires and equipment. Yeah. So we're increasing our rate to make sure that we get enough money to pay for all of the yeah, they're just they're trying to capture a fixed cost or kind of a more fixed dollar amount of revenue. But the problem for them is that the energy amounts that are consumed change quite drastically throughout the year. Yeah. So in September, when we did this, we we had reported that, oh, your energy, that TDU charge that sort of baked into your whole kilo, you know, your rate that you pay was going to 5.46. You're like, yeah. And then it adjusted later to something like 5.37, yeah. but cents a kilowatt. So that's a lot. So say you signed up for a 10 cent rate and it went up by... 1.7 cents. Mm-hmm. What we reported then is, so say you were using 3,000 kilowatts of electricity. 3,000 kilowatts of electricity before September um, 1st, it, by when after September 1st, it cost you $51 more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it's significant. It, it's, you know, I think when we're looking at um, in, in March of this year, we're looking at it going from the September rate, the winter rate to the summer rate is now it's kind of creeping down around uh-huh. the same amount. Maybe it's like one and a half cents. And so it definitely, for 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 higher bills, I mean, it, it, it's a significant amount of, of, of difference. So you'll notice that, and it, it kind of feels like it needs to roll in in the wintertime when a lot of us uh, um, gas heat mm-hmm. are using more, are using less electricity, rather. The challenge is it kind of comes in in your very first September bill It'll be at the higher rate, and uh-huh. then it's hitting you on more of your August usage. Yeah. And so it kind of gets you, that first bill feels <laughs> maybe even higher. Right. And then as you get in October, it starts to taper off, but it's a little bit of a delay. Yeah. Because it's, it's kind of being billed at you on your prior month's usage. Right. Yeah. And so the good news is, what you just mentioned, is come March 1st, that rate from Centerpoint that always goes up in September is set to drop back down. But it doesn't always go down the same amount. Or, and so what are we looking at um, coming up March 1st here that, that our bills should see a inc- decrease? Sure. So un- understanding that it's sometimes challenging to hit this nail on the uh-huh. head. Um, right now we're looking at um, after we talked in September around some point in October, the official rate kind of moved down to about 5.377. So uh-huh. still in that 5.4 cent range. Yeah. And we're looking at it moving closer to about 3.9. Okay. So it's around, you know, a, a one and a half cent difference. Okay. So it kind of went up about one seven. It's coming down around one five. There, there's not historically, it. we know it kind of goes up on that cycle and goes down. Mm-hmm. It's It's been moving around a lot, but that's where we're going to land, about 3.8. So what that means is in March, when you get a bill generated in March, mm-hmm. it's, some of it will be February usage. Some people might have March usage in there. 
all of that bill will be at the new lower rate. Okay. And it's not as low as it was pre-September 1st, but almost it's 0.02 cents. You know, I think a lot of us live in a world where um, there's been a lot of inflation and, and yeah. we certainly feel like things are all getting more expensive. In energy and infrastructure are, are definitely in the mix there too. So things have been definitely going up over time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going down from the winter rate, but from a historical standpoint, it's still kind of on the higher end of the summer rate. And so then I ask you um, all the time, so then why? And, and then we start talking about all sorts of things that I want to cover in our next segment. Um, and and it, he makes it interesting. It's not going to be boring. But all of these things that go into that TDU charge, the fee. And these, again, are fees that everybody in Texas in a deregulated market will pay, um, regardless of who you choose as your electric provider. So I'm hoping you can kind of explain some of those things and why some of those rates are going up when we come back. Welcome back to Ask Amy. Today we're talking with David Kinchin of Energy Ogre. We're going over our electric bills and how, thankfully, we're about to see a slight decrease because of these TDU charges come March 1st. They'll go down a little bit. They're constantly, that, that fee in September goes up. You just explained in March it traditionally goes down a little bit. Um, but there are all of these individual fees that go into the TDU or TDSP charge that are changing all the time. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you about a couple of them that, that have been coming up a lot lately. Sure. You ready? A bunch I'm of ready. acronyms. Well, not acronyms because they don't spell anything. But TCRF, what does that stand for and what are we seeing there? So um, specifically for TCRF, it's the Transmission Charge Recovery Factor. And um, there's kind of two buckets of these charges. You have transmission charges, which mm -hmm. are the really big power lines that you might see along the freeway or something. And those are high voltage lines and they, they kind of move power long distances. And then you have low voltage, which we call the distribution network. Those are the ones that are outside your house. You might see a transformer on it. That's what people are interconnecting their homes to. Uh -huh. And when they do a big giant transmission project, I mean, that could be a very large amount and they need to raise money and then they spend it. Uh, they pass that through as a recovery factor. Uh -huh. And so what we do is we see that on our bills. Um, generally, most people see one line item on there called like TDSP charges. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's like 10. There's a lot of different things that go in there. And TCRF is one of those. And that's one of the charges that have been going up a lot over the last few years. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 it basically, when we go to the summer rate, and we're going to be at like 3.8-ish, 3.9 cents, uh -huh. two cents of that might be TCRF. Oh, that's a two, significant two, portion. It might even be two and a half cents. It's, okay. It's significant. Yeah. And so I'd say that's, I would, in my head, to make it more simple for folks, it's around half your bill from your TDSP is that TCRF charge these days. Okay. And is there, a, I mean, from what you know, um, I mean, you don't work for Centerpoint, obviously, you're with Energy Ogre, but is it, there a, a reason, an obvious reason why it's increasing so much? You actually looked at the charge from what it was in September of 2020 mm -hmm. to what it will, was in September of 23. Yeah. Looking back to 2020, I, I think the TCRF was around half a cent. And, mm -hmm. and today, looking at the last one, I think we looked at was was September, and it was like two point five cents. Uh huh. So I mean, it's a, it's a dramatic increase. Yeah. And you know, a lot of things go into that, and so there's a lot of charges. But then also in each charge, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But as we've experienced two things here, one of them is just we've had a lot of um, infrastructure and uh, inflation, and we've had just a lot of inflation. Capital costs more, parts cost more, labor costs more. 
So it costs them more money to build and maintain those things. So that that's one thing is it's it's just inflation and, and cost have gone up. Uh-huh. Another thing is after we all remember, and I know we all hate talking about it, but we had the, the, the storm in, in winter of 21. Yuri. Um, that we all, Yuri, we, we love to all forget about. <laughs> um, it, it is we said, hey, we want to have a more reliable grid. And mm-hmm. we went through, and I think everyone agrees that that's a better thing. We want to have more reliable grid. We don't want to go through that freeze again. And we've gone through some couple cold snaps since then, and, and the grid has kind of shrugged those off without much of an issue. But that also has a cost. So some of the reason that cost is up is if we needed to make the, the grid more robust, uh-huh. we had to spend capital to do that. And this is the recovery part of that. So we can't kind of complain that we don't want to pay for things, but we also <laughs> want it crazy reliable. So this is kind of that that choice of it's more reliable, but there's a cost to it. Right. So center point, because it's a transmission and distribution utility, it it can rec- it can get all this money back. Like it's saying the way it's set up with the state is, you know, we're going to fix these things, but then you're going to reimburse us for doing that. Yeah. And, and, and so it's they are able to go through a process and they have a tariff and all these things have tariffs mm-hmm. and there's a hearing and there's filings and dozens of parties weigh in. <laughs> And it's in the public space. You can hop on the Public Utility Commission's website. And you it's can so to, fun. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's a fun thing. And you can go and do a tariff search, and you can go read through these. And in some cases, there are hundreds of pages of documents. But the comforting part is there is a process to go through to have justifiable causes. And these are approved causes. They can't just slap anything in they, there that they want. They, they put out a cost. They put out a proposal, and these things are approved. And they have entities go through and, and say, yep, these are reasonable things. And then they get approved by everybody. Uh-huh. And then they go into the tariff rate and they're passed through. Got so it. It's a very lengthy process. It's in the public space. Uh-huh. It's not something that they just, hey, you, you just pay for this. Right. There's a process. Yeah. And you can go back and research and figure out why they raised it and all that jazz. Sure. The other fee um, that I originally called you about because I noticed it on a city of Houston city council agenda mm-hmm. was a center point DCRF. What you just described was the TCRF. Yes. But the DCRF, which you said is not as much of a big part of that TDU charge. Right. They were talking about it at council and I was like wait why right well it, it kind of it, sometimes it depends about do I care about this or do I find this interesting and it, sometimes it depends on who you are right and so <laughs> if you're in the city council and it comes up I'm sure it's extremely important and yeah it's very front of mind for folks DCRF is is, is similar to that and it's the distribution cost recovery factor so another 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 name for us and historically, though, the DCRF charges for, for CenterPoint for residential customers is, is very low or sometimes even zero. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a, um, a project that comes through and there's a, a recovery factor and they'll put it in there. But to give you kind of the scale, sometimes these are not in cents. Like uh-huh. the, the TCRF we talked about was half a cent many years ago and now we're at two and a half cents. The DCRF stuff gets kind of measured more in fractions of cents. It's so like that small. Tenths of cents. So I think when I looked, it's, you know, one, two, three tenths of a cent. Obviously, it's still in there. um, And obviously, we're paying it and we should be aware of those things. But from a impact, from a materiality standpoint, it's much, much, much lower. Okay. And and I do feel like maybe I've danced around this and like, you know, we got into all the minutiae because I, I think it's kind of interesting when people say like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been locked in for the last 12 months, but why am I seeing these rising bills when I'm using less electricity? Um, so let's talk about rates right now. Sure. I mean, what are we seeing? It's It's been a while since I've been able to go to you and, and, and say, hey, you know, 
traditional like summer rates really high and winter and fall are getting really low. Like we haven't seen that in a while, right? Since the winter storm. Yeah, it's been a really interesting um, follow up to the storm. And, and, and I think the concern has been there's a lot of, of risk. We used to kind of really worry about summertime kind of being an issue. And we were more used to getting alerts about conservation in summer. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, that now has entered into the winter picture. We used to not really worry about um, grid conditions in the wintertime. So for, for good or for bad, we used to kind of have a period of the year in summer where things were expensive. And if we had a 12-month contract, it meant we had a lot of kind of cheaper months to serve, uh-huh. March, April, May, October, November, and um, that would weight down that annual price. Yeah, um, we had an expensive July August, but you know rates were five cents because well that's only a month or two, and the challenge we have is that we've added more cost and 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 you know more risk to the system because now we're worried about winter as well as now we're kind of worried about pricing in January and February, and maybe even December some of the time now that yeah. we've had a cold December, so now we have more months that are higher priced mm-hmm. and that weights into the annual curve, and so what that means is is that. I don't have cheaper or as many cheaper months to to serve, and what that means is I've I've weighted up the overall cost of the year to serve that electricity. So rates have definitely post um, twenty one storm have been higher, uh-huh. and you know there's so much risk built into the system, and that's what your retailers actually providing us a service by by giving me a fixed rate energy charge, they're taking on that risk. Mm-hmm. So that if something bad happens and there's a lot of cost that got lost to the market, the the REP, the retailers paying that, not me. Right. It's not like after during the storm when people are on those fi- those index planes you can't be on anymore. Right. Retailers wear that risk. Uh huh. So we're paying them for that service, but there's it's crept up over time, and and you know we're hovering in. I'm looking at. Right now, people can look at bills and in the winter rate, they're at, you know, a good rates in this 14 cent all in. You might be in an, an eight cent energy plan, but the effective rate is in your 13 and 14 cent energy. Uh-huh. And when we move to the summer TDSP rates, that'll come off around one and a half cents. Even if your EFL was at the higher rates, it'll be at the newer one. Okay. But so if you're sitting there, you know, on a 12 month plan and, and if you're shopping, a good plan is in the low eights and center point right now. Okay. Add in that you know, 3.94 cents, let's say 4 cents to make it easy. And you're yeah. sitting at like on the kind of the lowish end of things. Like 12. 12, 12, 13 cents. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you have a really low energy rate, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but these days it's kind of something that's kind of hard to stay in. So yeah, if you're, if you're well above that, you, you, you should probably, you know, take a look at that. But rates have, have stayed high because of all that risk. Yeah. It's crazy. So is there a best month now anymore? I mean, we know you said, okay, December, January, February, scratch, scratch that, scratch, mm-hmm. probably beginning like May through August. It's it's one of the hardest questions for me to answer. And, and kind of the answer is, yes, there's a best time to search. I, I kind of answer it kind of conditionally. And what that means is if you're in a really expensive plan, almost immediately is the best time to search. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at it as if you're in a good plan, really what I try to focus on is when people are picking a plan or, or looking at a new energy contract is looking at when that contract will end. Uh-huh. And so if you're in a high, a high plan, the best time is right now. But what you're going to try to avoid is a plan that will drop you into peak summer, which is kind of like July, August. And um, we'll say peak winter is historically uh, February for sure in Texas, but uh-huh. it can also include January in December. 
the months I worry about the most are February and August. Okay. So I try to I try to really avoid people dropping off into those time periods because the rest of the year can be a better time to shop. Okay. So if, if you're in a bad plan though, it's try to you would want to look today. Just get out today. Even if and if and if your plan dropped you in August and you're sitting here in August watching this. Yeah. And you're in a high plan and there's a lower rate, it's still best to look in August, even if it puts you back in August. Got it. Okay. All right. So we're going to take another quick break because we went a little bit over because it's so many interesting things to talk about. I want to talk to you about this um, this new bill right now that was just introduced in D.C. to make our grid in Texas part of the national grid and a little bit about solar. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about both of those things. Welcome back to Ask Amy. Today we are with Energy Ogre's David Kinchin, the COO, um, breaking down our electric bills. Good news, bad news, when they go up, when they're expected to go down, March 1st. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this, though, that was in the news this month. There was a uh, legislation introduced in D.C. Um, to make ERCOT, the Texas grid, part of, tied in with the national grid. A lot of people may not follow this closely, um, but they want us sort of interconnected, all part of the same national grid. Is this a good thing, bad thing? Explain what it would mean. Sure. So what people might not be super familiar with is there are many grids on the in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, there In the Northeast alone, there is several grids dotted around that area. And ERCOT is is one of those grids. And in the Northeast, for example, and Midwest, a lot of those grids are what we say are interconnected, meaning that power could flow out of one grid into the other grid, and it's it's synchronously connected. It's an AC, and those grids are able to kind of, for better or for worse, they can lean on each other for dependency, or they could transact. Like if somebody in one grid could be a counterparty and sell to a counterparty in another grid, and mm-hmm. so power can move between them and be traded. And um, in the Northeast, it's just a, a, a commonality. They've, they've been interconnected for as long as I remember. In ERCOT, we are not interconnected to um, either the, what we call the Eastern Grid or the Western Grid. Those, uh-huh. are, those are, we're just, we're, we're an island, if you will. And we're actually an island behind the state borders. So it's, when we think about the Texas electricity grid, it's a portion of Texas. I believe okay. ERCOT says it's something like 90% of of either the load or the area. Okay. So we're an island and we're not subject to some of the federal oversight because of that because we're not interconnected outside of the to over the border. We have some of these little minor DC ties but they don't meet the requirement for being interconnected. So what that means is as an island um, and, and as Texans we can kind of say that we're independent to to that federal oversight. So when we see this bill come in and say hey y'all need to interconnect um, for these reasons, um, there's there's some pros and there's some co- some cons to that. Uh-huh. Um, some pros are if you needed to uh, lean on another grid or receive megawatts, kilowatt hours from another grid, being interconnected would allow that to happen. Some of the challenges, most of the time, Texas has in a huge abundance of electricity. ERCOT has plenty of electricity mm-hmm. to generate the bulk of the time. And so the the times where you would need that support are very, very low. And the concern I have is when you do need that support, uh, some of the time, like during the winter storms, uh-huh. a lot of the other grids are also kind of suffering from the same effect. So it, it may or may not be as an added benefit as we kind of think just at a really high level. Because a lot of times these are, you know, weather systems that are moving across the entire country. Sure. They I mean, need their electricity as well. 
Yeah, I mean, some of these winter storms, I, I think we dropped into freezing territory in like most states, like uh-huh. well into the 40 count of states were in below freezing during some of these storms. So it's something when you have a kind of nationwide cold snap, it's really hard for it not to be affecting kind of a wide area. Right. Now, the the interesting part here is that Texans, for good or for bad, and I'm a native Texan my whole life, is... A challenge is we kind of like don't like to be told to do things. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing we kind of hate is I, I feel like the state right thing sometimes creeps up. So I, I do think when you have interstate versus intrastate rules uh-huh. and when you have other oversight come in, Texas has historically, from an ERCOT perspective, tried to maintain that independency, not having that federal oversight. So I would imagine there's at least some level of pushback from that perspective of it's a little easier and a little more local-focused uh, to not have that federal oversight over you. Right. Um, good over you. I appreciate that. And now we are very short on time, but can you give me your quickest explanation of solar panels in the Texas market, good thing or bad thing? Are they beneficial? I mean, when we're talking about all these TDU fees, do, do you, are you still having to pay those if you've got solar panels on your home? So, you know, kind of ignoring costs a little bit because you would want to look at are these things actually going to be economical enough. If you want to be green, they're kind of a wonderful product. If you're trying to have cheaper electricity, solar panels are a complicated answer. That being said, if you have solar panels either behind the meter or you're able to sell back to the grid, the buyback plans, for whatever you've generated at your home in your panel, um, you're not going to pay a delivery charge on that. So as delivery charges crept up, if you are able to have some on-site generation with a panel, for anything you're generating, that's something that you're also, not only do you not going to pay for that kilowatt hour, but you're also going to avoid that distribution charge because you didn't, you didn't pull that down from the grid. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. You know, some states have a little bit more benefit out of the net metering stuff where they can offset some of their delivery charges. Here we can't offset a delivery charge, but if I've generated it behind the meter or I've generated it to consume, I haven't accepted delivery from the grid because I haven't taken a delivery for that kilowatt hour, I didn't consume it from the grid, I'm not going to pay the delivery charge. So you'll offset some of the delivery charges. Got it. Okay. All right, David, thank you so much for your explanation on everything. I'm throwing a lot of balls at you today, asking you to catch them and explain them in a way that um, we can understand them. So I appreciate your time. We will put a link to Energy Ogre in the show notes of this podcast. We thank you so much for joining us today and have a great day. 